Greetings, good listeners of the Wooden Tooth Podcast. My name's Jake Williams. I'm glad you're here. We have our first group convo of the pod, three assistant professors at the University of San Francisco, who are named Aaron Grinstein, Marie-Claude Couture, and Deyanira Garcia are on today. They are really smart, as you'll find out, and they are studying a topic that I hadn't heard about until I found them on the abstracts of the APHA's annual conference when I was scrolling through them. Um, They study fear and how fear can affect public health. I thought it was important to cover this topic right now because a lot of people are afraid these days for both perhaps legitimate and illegitimate reasons. I think, for example, you know, threats to our democracy are serious and have people worried. And I suspect that has an impact on people's mental health. Um, I think every other day there's another dire report of how climate change threatens our world that uh, is really alarming. I can see how that could have the same effect. I think fear is being used as a political tool even more often than usual to deleterious effect. You know, we hear about how we should be fearful of immigrants to this country or how people who look different than us are getting power and that is somehow a threat to us and that has, I think, effects both on our politics as well as our public health. Uh, Surprisingly, this issue hasn't really been studied before, as you'll find out in in our conversation, at least not through a public health lens. So this is all very nascent and new, and uh, we'll share some links to this research on our website, which is woodenteethshow.com. But um, as you'll, you'll hear, the study that has taken place so far was just of students at the University of San Francisco and the effects of fear of violence or crime or deportation. Uh, what that fear has done to them in terms uh, of their health. One of those researchers has done some more uh, research on how crime or fear of crime affects public health, and we'll talk a bit about that. But really, it's a new area that I hope we'll hear more about in, in the future, and you get a first glimpse here on the pod. So without further ado, let's go out to San Diego, where I had this conversation at the APHA annual conference. Okay, so I'm here with um, three women with great names that are far superior that to Jake Williams, but are also, for some people at least, hard to pronounce, but I think I have it, all right? All right, so person one, in no particular order, Aaron Grinstein. You got it. Yes. Uh, Deyanira Garcia and Marie-Claude Couture. All right, I succeeded. So you are all at the University of San Francisco. Can you each uh, tell us a bit about what you study? Sure, I'm Erin Grinstein. I am at the University of San Francisco in the Health Professions Department in the School of Nursing and Health Professions, which is where all of us um, are housed. And my research is mostly on fear of crime. And so fear of crime, fear of violent victimization is what I do most of my my research on. I've done research on both the causes and the consequences of fear of crime. And I try to specialize in certain populations. I've done um, some work in uh, fear of crime among older adults. And um, I've done a lot of work on fear of crime among adolescent populations. Marie. 
Um, I'm assistant professor also at the Department of Health Profession at USF. Um, I'm an epidemiologist and my research interests are in HIV risk, but also the effect of violence and uh, drug and alcohol use among vulnerable populations. And finally, Daniela. Yes. So um, I am a licensed clinical psychologist, also an assistant professor at USF. And my area of research focus is uh, looking at underserved, marginalized populations. Um, I'm very interested in looking at cultural factors, social, economic, and political factors, and how they impact health. And I have a particular emphasis and focus on Latino populations. I do a lot of community-based work, and I do a lot of my work in Spanish and English. And so what intrigued me about you all was the uniqueness uh, of this topic. It could be that there is other research out there that I just haven't been exposed to. But when I came across your work, I was specifically intrigued because it seems new. Um, is that true? Is, that, is this a relatively you know, under-researched topic or, or not? Yes, it is definitely an under-researched topic. I think most of, at least in terms of our exposure, which is this, uh, these different fear of violent victimization variables, most of that research has traditionally lived in criminology. So the field of criminology has looked a lot at fear of crime because crime lives in criminology, um, but the public health world has studied it less. There are a few um, really big researchers who have done some great work in fear of crime in the public health world, and most of them are abroad. It hasn't really caught on in the US. A lot of um, European researchers, um, there are some researchers in the UK and in Belgium who do fear of crime work in the public health sphere and some in Australia, but there, there hasn't been a lot of work. There's been some, but not a lot of work on fear of crime through the public health lens in the US. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Um, I obviously think that it's an important issue and that's why I do most of my research on fear of crime and exclusively in the U.S., but I don't know why it, it hasn't caught on here, why it's really not being treated as a public health issue in, in the States. And, I mean, is one possible reason and one potential challenge that there is with this research topic that it might be hard to conceive of how one measures fear? Like, how, how, how do you measure fear? It's <laughs> a good question. Um, <laughs> yes, it is very difficult. I said in, I gave a talk yesterday on this and I, I joked that I'm jealous of my friends that work on diseases where there's a blood test um, because it would be so much easier if we could just do a very simple test that told us yes or no, do you have fear, do you not have fear? It's hard to measure it's definitely subject to a lot of measurement error, which is a limitation of the research that we do and the research that everyone does in this area. Traditionally, it's been measured by asking people how afraid they are of crime in their neighborhood. And so it's been traditionally, for the most part, a very general measure of fear. And I think that's what we are trying to add to this literature is by getting a lot more specific with our measurements and looking at measurements of fear of victimization that are potentially um, more relevant to our population. So rather than asking, how afraid are you of crime in general, which we did ask of our population, we're also asking about 10 specific forms of violent victimization. The first seven are the more traditional violent victimization measures that you might assume that we're asking about things like fear of murder, fear of theft, 
And the last three we asked about um, are a little bit more novel and we thought more relevant to our population, which is a very diverse student population. And that was fear of hate speech, fear of hate crimes, and fear of microaggressions. We also asked uh, three questions about fear of bullying. We thought that was relevant among a college um, age population. So we asked about bullying on campus, fear of bullying off campus, and fear of electronic bullying. And then we also, because again, we have a diverse population and a large number of students that we thought this would be relevant for, we asked um, fear of detainment and deportation, both of self and family and friends. And what was the time period that you all examined? This hap- did this research happened these last couple of years, longer, um, shorter? It was October, November 2017. So we did the survey uh, for two months. It was an online survey among students. So we collected data for two months. And how many students participated? Uh, more than 1,400, 1,400. 1,415, yeah. 1,415. A good sample size. Yeah. And um, of those, how many... Um, indicated that they had some level of fear around um, immigration issues, specifically fear of deportation, or is it, and is that fear of deportation not just for themselves, but perhaps family and loved ones? Is that captured in the research as well? Yeah, so actually later today, I'm gonna be doing an oral presentation on some of these findings. So as Erin mentioned, we looked at um, fear of deportation and detainment, and we asked fear towards family, friends, or themselves. And in particular, one of the things that we looked at was we looked at Latinx students compared to all other race ethnicities. And what we found was that uh, Latinx students are reporting higher levels of fear and worry with deportation and detainment towards family and friends. And we did not find anything, um, any significant findings towards themselves. So when we asked them, are you afraid? of detainment and deportation. There was no uh, statistically significant findings between Latinx student versus others, but we are finding towards family and friends that it was significant. And when it comes to that topic or any of the topics that you researched, were there surprises in terms of levels of, of fear expressed either on the high or low end? I think one of the surprising findings initially was that um, at least in our initial analyses, and again, we're just starting to analyze these data. We have a lot of data and we need to do a lot more analyses on them. But at least initially, um, we found fewer significant differences in electronic bullying. So it seems like electronic bullying in the talk I gave yesterday, comparing students of color with white students, there were no significant differences in electronic bullying. Um, And initially that was surprising, but I think the more we thought about it, the more maybe it made sense that this type of bullying that happens behind closed doors, both in terms of perpetration and in victimization, maybe there wouldn't be as, as many differences between students of color and white students. And did respondents both give you uh, information about whether they were fearful or or not, in addition to um, reporting on how that fear manifests itself in their own lives in terms of effects? Or is that research that is really conducted separately? We kind of, if I understand your question correctly, I think we do get at that, but we don't ask them specifically about it. Uh We asked, um, we did uh, two mental health assessments in our survey. We we did a depression depression assessment and an anxiety assessment. Mm -hmm. And so we have done some research trying to associate 
fear as the exposure with these outcomes of anxiety and depression, and we did substance use. Substance use, too. And look at the association between uh, fear and substance use, too. So there's correlation between reporting of fear and elevated levels of anxiety and substance use. Is that correct? Um, I'll talk about the, the anxiety and depression, then Marie-Claude can talk about the, the substance use. We presented some of this work yesterday showing that at least for, um, and remember we have a lot of different exposures for fear, but for the electronic, or the, um, the bullying variables, both on-campus bullying, off-campus bullying, and electronic bullying, the more fear students felt, the worse their anxiety scores were and the worse their depression scores were for all three of those fear measures. Do you want to talk about substance use? Um, yeah, we did also preliminary um, analysis looking at the effect of fear on substance use and we found um, association between fear of crime and substance use, but that association was stronger among women than men. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting. We need to investigate more about that. So what's the next step? Uh, is there a next step in your research? Uh, did, you know, did, is, we step. hope so. <laughs> yeah, what, 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 what do you want to tackle? Um, I think several things. Um, one thing is um, we would like to look at fear over time, do a longitudinal study to look at fear over time, if there's a change over time also. Mm -hmm. So that would be something we'd like to do. We, you know, the, the, our, our particular study that we're talking about today took place on a university campus. Mm -hmm. right. And we would like to bring that um, either to other campuses nationwide and really look at fear and the way that we looked at it within our population, um, and, but also to community samples because there might be differences there that we haven't Another uncovered. Another thing we're talking yesterday is try to understand like um, how fear happens when and where exactly? Do mm -hmm. um, I investigate more about that? And, you know, I feel like you guys are exploring a new frontier of public health, if you will. And uh, is, there a, is there, beyond this specific topic, are there other topics that you are looking to, you know, breach beyond fear? I feel like, you know, <laughs> I think that this, this topic kind of really fits our time. Um, I think a lot of people are fearful about what's going on right now. I, have people in my own life who I know are fearful and I know at least anecdotally that they have had negative mental health effects um, as a result. What, what else? What, how, is, there, is there something unique about this time that we're in that has led to questions in your heads about what else we need to look at? I think that, you know, I mean, I've been studying fear for a long time, so it's, it's not that this era has prompted me to look at fear. Fear has always been, you know, I would say maybe since like 2006, 2008, that's when I started looking at fear. So I've been looking at fear for let's say 10 years or so. Um, I do think that there are always going to be changing reasons that people feel fear. I don't know why. I, I showed some data yesterday showing that, you know, since 1980, crime rates have been decreasing steadily, mm -hmm. but fear has stayed the same. Mm -hmm. So there's there always seem to be reasons that we're not doing a good job communicating actual risk to people and people are afraid. Um, I think that 
we need to keep looking at fear right now and trying to figure out what is making people afraid. And we need to do that by doing good research on the topic. So I think that, that your question is, is apt. And I would say that is also relevant for any times. So, you know, we need to figure out why, why people are afraid. You know, I find your research particularly interesting because you know, fear has always been invoked for political purposes from the beginning of politics, really. But there seems to be a particular weaponization of it uh, going on right now uh, in America. You know, fear of the caravan that's, you know, 800 miles away full of starving uh, unarmed people. Mm -hmm. um, fear of people who don't look like you having power instead of you. And how did that play, if at all, into your uh, decision and approach on this research? Well, I don't know that I can speak to that directly, but what I can say is that um, given our research, what we're finding is that um, because we have a large enough sample that we were able to look at some of these group differences. So we were able to, for example, look at Latinx students compared to other students, um, LGBTQ students compared to other students. So our data is giving us the ability to look at, you know, group differences that we probably wouldn't otherwise given sample sizes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's one of the strengths of, of, of our data. I think the other thing that our data is doing quite well is kind of stopping us and telling us that we should look at this. So I think, you know, we need to spend a lot more time looking at our own data set and really examining some of the important differences that we're going to be finding in our data. I'd be interested to see if, if um, political scientists are doing fear research on some of these topics that you're bringing up to see if that, it, you know, what effect that does have on people's fear and if the, the fear-based, you know, politics are, what, what specifically is working to affect people's fear. Um, I think that I would assume that there are some political scientists doing this work, but I haven't, I haven't looked at that research. Yeah. What about the difference between legitimate fear and illegitimate fear? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I've seen other research that indicates that people are afraid, perhaps irrationally, of things that are extremely unlikely to occur um, because Plain of things. Crashes. Yeah. And um, I, I guess how <laughs> plane, yeah, I'm, I'm plane crashes. Right. Like I admit I have I have anxiety. I'm, I fly all the time and I have anxiety on planes. Right. You um, know that if it happens, the consequences aren't aren't going to be good. Right. right. So. Or, or Islamic terrorism. The chance of uh, the chance of you being a, a victim here in the United know. States of Islamic terrorism are <laughs> immensely small, but have, right. um, you know, occupied an outsized portion of our political dialogue at the expense of other more legitimate fears. And so I guess when it comes down to research, does that matter? And, yes. you know, go ahead. No, but this, I feel for from a public health perspective, I don't think there's a difference between irrational and rational um, fear because the effect will be the same on your physical and mental health. Okay. Yeah, I, yes. I, I mean, so some amount of fear is protective, right? Mm -hmm. But the fear yeah. is a really complicated topic, I think, in terms of public health because we want people to be afraid of the right things, mm -hmm. right? Fear keeps us from doing things that are really dangerous and fear keeps us from, um, you know, jumping off of a building because you know you're going to get hurt. Uh, that is a protective fear. That's a fear that actually works in your favor. But it's this, this you know, chronic fear that people feel 
that um, doesn't do much for them. You know, when you feel fear chronically, you have these elevated biological responses that we know lead to bad outcomes. There's a lot of research on allostatic load and cortisol levels and things what? like what? that. What's that? <laughs> allostatic load. There's, um, there's a lot of biological research that has shown that um, when you feel this like heightened response that comes along with fear, um, it increases these hormones in your body. One of them is cortisol, and there's a bunch of others that combine together makes up your allostatic load. And it's basically something that should be felt. Um, our, the evolution basically was designed to have these like short bursts of feeling these hormones so that you can like get yourself out of danger quickly. But when you feel this fear, chronically over time and you have this increased response over and over again day after day that's when it leads to some of these negative health consequences maybe there's an association with mental health as well um, but we know that physically there are really bad outcomes when you feel this type of fear over and over and over all the time so i think with you know we want people to feel a little bit afraid in short bursts to keep themselves protected from things. But we don't want people to feel this fear over long periods of time because it's really damaging, um, both physically and mentally. So I think you're right that we do need to reduce the amount of fear that people feel, whether you know it's because of something completely irrational, like you were mentioning, or something that maybe a little bit more rational, but we don't want that people to feel it all the time. Chronic fear. Um, yeah. Okay, so you guys are studying the presence of fear, the effects of that fear. So what's the public health intervention to short circuit said fear? That is a great question. <laughs> yeah, we've been discussing about different ideas. Um, I think there's, you know, one, we need to start by talking about it. Mm -hmm. This is not something, as you started the interview, this is not something that even the public health community is really taking seriously as a public health issue. We know that crime rates are decreasing. We know that people are still just as afraid of violent victimization as they were when crime rates were much higher. We need to take fear of crime as a public health issue itself seriously and we need to start talking about it as a public health issue you know it's not something that anybody really talks about or some people do but not it's not widespread so one it needs to become recognized as a public health issue that the public health community um, wants to do something about and i think that in terms of our work you know we've been really thinking about this at the university level what we could do at the university level I think messaging is one thing. We need to talk to students about what their actual risks are, do some good risk communication with them um, to try to make them understand or help them understand what, what they're actually at risk of. And maybe talk to them about you know the consequences of feeling fearful all the time so that they also take it seriously. Because I think that a lot of people probably feel this fear chronically, but don't even recognize that that's an issue. Mm-hmm. And I think there are clinical implications yeah, as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we're looking at is the link between the fear of violent victimization and uh, uh, the different types of fear that we're looking at and the impact on mental health. Mm -hmm. right, so um, there is some research to suggest that 
clearly there's a connection there and there's impact. Um, but I, I agree with Aaron that I think we need to make that more open. Uh, we need to really communicate our findings with students and then figure out how do we assess this better as clinicians and as mental health providers. And then what sorts of interventions can we then tailor to really um, figure out how we can best assist students who are under chronic fear. And we don't know that yet, but that's something that I think, you know, we can look into um, and figure out together. We don't have an answer to that yet. Beyond just studying fear, um, do you all have knowledge or access to data about the longer term trend lines on the student population, at least at the University of San Francisco? Have there been elevated or decreased rates of mental health diagnoses or suicide? What's, is there any, anything you can share there? Um, we don't have data over time. So that was a cross-sectional study, a study we do one time in a population at yeah. a specific time. So um, the next step will, do, will be to do a longitudinal study. Um, however, we did ask a question and we asked over the last year um, if the fear has increased, decreased, or stayed the same. So it's, it's not the perfect uh, measure to look at fear over time. Uh, but we found that several students were saying that their fear increased during the last year. Um, this is preliminary result, and we still have to dig more into, uh, into it with more analysis. But... Uh, that's all we have. And in terms of mental health over time, okay. I, we don't have mm -hmm. data that we collected, but lots of people have collected data on this. And, and I believe that the research shows that mental health concerns on college campuses as a whole have increased over yeah. time, anxiety mm -hmm. and depression. I, I think particularly anxiety, right? Um, I think both. Both. And yeah. we, we, we saw that, like, we don't have data on that, but we know from our um, student services for mental health at our university that they've been seeing more cases of depression and anxiety um, over the last couple of years. And why do you think that is? You know, I, I don't have something offhand. Um, I can speak to kind of what our, our study has looked at. And, um, you know, again, we're finding links between, you know, some of these fears and um, depression and anxiety from our data. I don't want to talk about, you know, sure. other realms because I don't. You'd be speculating. I'd be speculating and I don't want to do that. But I, you know, we can talk about kind of what our data has looked at and, um, you know, some of the links that our data has to mental health. Well, there have been also like several recent studies showing an increase of mental health issue among the younger generation. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not an expert on that, but I don't know the causes of that. But there's been an increase um, in depression and anxiety. And yeah, I mean, I know one thing that has been discussed is we're not sure if the incidence is greater or the willingness to seek services is right, greater. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think most people speculate there's a little bit of both happening. So. And so how did this band get together? How did you <laughs> how did you all three get together and decide to do this research? We were looking for a reason to collaborate. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted to work together. Um, we had both done um, other work on violence. Mm -hmm. Danira and I have both done work on mental health outcomes, and we wanted a reason to work together, and this seemed like 
the perfect study for us to combine all three of our interests and mm -hmm. look at some interesting data and our expertise. Yeah. Okay, so if people want to learn more about what you're doing, is there a place they can go to find it? We're preparing manuscripts right now to submit for publication. Um, nothing has been published yet because these data are really new and we're still analyzing them and presenting them at conferences, obviously. Um, nothing has been, has been published yet, but we would happily send you links to our articles if you want to. We'll share it. We'll share it. Yeah, so this podcast is like a super early teaser for mm -hmm. like a summer exactly. block, blockbuster that's 2019. Right. That's, that's, all right. That's a great all right. Yeah. Advanced promo. We often, I dig it. We often um, refer to our work as summer blockbusters. So yeah. that's the perfect analogy. <laughs> Awesome. So there it is. Great conversation. Uh, like I said, we're going to put up some links at the website, woodenteethshow.com, where you can find out more about that research. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter. That handle is Wooden Teeth Show. You can always give us feedback about um, what we've done on the pod and what we should do in the future. Speaking of the future, we've got a really good one coming next week. It is our first book interview. That's all I'll tell you for now. Tune back in and find out who I'll be talking to uh, a week from today. All right. See you later.